The Grazadillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. We're going to take a few minutes before we conclude this evening to visit uh, with Jerry. And I have to ask you first, did that woman that was on that customer service call for nine hours actually get the boots that she wanted? I don't know. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know Jeez. that Tony knows. <laughs> I think she called back, though. Yeah, well, probably so. Um, you know, one of the things that you talked about, and you mentioned it earlier in your comments, but then also towards the end, was this idea of the values and pushing those through the organization and how difficult that is across cultures. And clearly in a company like Coca-Cola, that's so critical. How do you do that in a company that's that large, is in so many different countries, and is also trying to drill down even into those you know, small communities in Africa and huge cities? I mean, how do you get that embedded throughout the culture that everybody's on the same page, and particularly because of the ethical dimensions mm -hmm. that are associated with that? Well, you know, we have, 750,000-ish people in the Coca-Cola system uh, between our company and our bottling partners. Uh, we make it a, a core requirement of all of our people uh, in the company to take code of ethics training, to go through uh, role-playing types of uh, online training, uh, and we, we actually um, have metrics against our people going through that training. Uh, we also have annual requirements of code of ethics briefings. So we take it very seriously, and that, that doesn't mean that stuff doesn't happen. Sure. You know, I mean, um, but we try to mitigate that by having a consistent value system across our company and our franchise system. On this 2020 vision, we have our values posted right across mm -hmm. the bottom of that. One of those is to act like an owner, mm -hmm. you know, and, and if you're an owner of a business, uh, you've got to act about the long, you've got to think about the long term, the sustainability of the, the company, the, um, the brand heritage. And I think if, if, if everyone thinks of a company like they own it, they will operate differently. Uh, we need to, one of our values is um, act like the brand. You know, when you think about brand Coca-Cola, uh, it's such an innocent brand, it's such a simple idea. Um, and, and if we could all be half as good as our brand Coca-Cola, I think we'll be okay. You know, as you were showing the different examples of folks that really have a have sort of owned who they are, Bono mm -hmm. and uh, Lady Gaga, even the the Mini Cooper example. I'm not so sure about Charlie Sheen, but I mean, it's something that came to mind. One of our values in the business school we talk about having courage, and so it seems to me another piece of that sort of yeah. being willing to stick to what really matters to you is having enough courage. You know, a lot of people have strong beliefs in something, but when it comes down to it, do you really have the courage to stick with that when the going gets tough or there's a lot of pressure mm -hmm. to do something else? So I don't know if that's something you talk about uh, at Coca-Cola and how you sort of embed what you're doing there. Well, what's, what's interesting is that um, people that I spend a lot of time with and people that I've met for the first time uh, have all been in a predicament where they wanted to do something that was right and authentic for themselves, mm -hmm. and they didn't do it. Yet then they saw someone else do a similar thing and succeed with it. Right. And, and uh, they're always disappointed, like, why didn't I do that? And it was because they were concerned about being judged mm -hmm. or being uh, worried about being seen as um, 
not part of the, the, uh, the common flow. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I would just encourage people to be more comfortable with unique ideas, mm -hmm. uh, but first think about what, what objective are we trying to solve. And if your unique idea can creatively solve an objective, why not put it out there? You know, the worst that can happen is someone challenges that. And then it gives you a chance to return the challenge. And if your idea isn't good enough for you to personally defend, then maybe it wasn't a great idea. But I think that in today's world, with so, much, uh, so many challenges, we need more courage than ever. Mm -hmm. You know, we need more people taking courageous and interesting um, steps to find new ways to do unique things, uh, whether it's our environment, the sustainability factor, uh, or, or any, any area. So I would encourage people, the Charlie Sheen example was a great example of something that went wrong, yeah. right? I mean, here's a guy that had everything going, mm -hmm. everything communicates, and suddenly he's out in left field and, yeah. you know, enter a guy named Ashton Kutcher and the show's doing pretty well. Yeah, exactly. Let me go to the, to the audience. What questions do you have for Jerry? Let me go back here. Hi, Jerry. Uh, my name's Ray Ellis. I was graduate in 2009 with the uh, MSOD program. Um, I happen to know Blake Mikoski uh, personally in, in the story of Tom's. And uh, I know that he changed the business paradigm from nonprofit to doing well by doing good. And um, so I also noticed that um, Coca-Cola has this new marketing uh, about around the polar bear and it's caused some confusion with the color of your containers. Um, I was just wondering if you would comment on all of that. Tell Blake I said hello. I will. <laughs> I, the, I, I actually, we're friends, I taught him how to sail his boat. Oh, <laughs> how large is that boat now? It's, <laughs> he just got a bigger one. <laughs> I, I used to joke because he actually gave me a pair of shoes, and so when I wore the shoes, I told people that, you know, they have a great business model, you know, yeah. they, you buy a pair and then they give a pair away, and I got one of the pairs that they <laughs> gave away. <laughs> but as a result, I've taken some of his shoes all over the world, so. That's, oh, that's really great. great. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Ray, on your success. The, um, the Arctic Home program, which you're referring to, uh, was a very uh, innovative thing for us to do during the holiday season. And the idea was to help the polar bears, which have been part of our advertising campaign for decades. Mm -hmm. And um, we partnered with the World Wildlife Fund uh, to bring millions of dollars to the polar bear movement to try and uh, take a, a financial stake and to raise awareness for the polar bears, which we succeeded in raising awareness for the polar bears. Um, the, uh, there are a couple of things happening there. One, from a shopper perspective, we had uh, very little uh, confusion per se, but enough to where we wanted to make sure our consumers uh, knew what was happening with the, with the red cans. And so we quickly moved to reintroduce the red background, uh, which I, I think actually looks better uh, than the, the original cans did. But the idea of taking some risk on a brand like Coca-Cola is a huge, as you can imagine, drama within a company like Coke, and I'm so proud that we did that, that we, that we did stretch and we did try something fresh. Uh, we learned a lot from it. Uh, we learned a lot about the passion that our consumers once again have for their packaging and what they expect on their packaging, and we moved quickly to address that. 
the fact is that the campaign, um, I, I can't comment on fourth quarter results, so I won't get into a forward-looking statement, but uh, overall we're pleased with the way the campaign's gone and um, especially pleased on making a difference with a, with a real uh, climate issue as well. Thank you, Ray. Yes, right here. Thank you very much for your time and energy. My name is uh, Chris Kurzma Prim. I'm a, a guest of a current student, Adam. I'm aspiring MBA, and he's doing a good job recruiting me. This is a great event. <laughs> good thank, for you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by the world of corporate social responsibility and, and think that uh, Coca-Cola's goal to become uh, water neutral by 2020 is, is incredible. And as, as I study uh, corporate social responsibility, I, I find that some of the programs, you know, don't match your ambition at all. And I, I see that, you know, CSR is becoming widespread, which makes me think we're moving in the right direction. And it might be difficult for you to talk about other organizations, but I'm curious, what, what do we need to get more uh, of the world's most influential companies uh, to take CSR programs and to have them be as ambitious um, as yours? Well, Chris, I hope you brought your checkbook tonight as a returning alumni. You can make a donation to this great Distinguished Leadership Series. Um, I think, look, th this idea of um, corporate social responsibility is a fancy term for people caring about the world. And this thing starts, in my mind, with people. It doesn't start with campaigns, and it doesn't start with, with planograms. Uh, we're very fortunate to have uh, a board uh, an executive committee and a CEO that's committed to the communities that we operate in. You know, when we're in 206 countries, we're kind of a unique brand uh, on the global footprint. And so um, it starts with leadership. It starts with a commitment of people. Uh, years and years ago, when Robert Woodruff was the chairman of the Coca-Cola Company, um, we had uh, military, mainly men, but also military women, fighting to protect freedom in Europe. And Robert Woodruff brought his executive committee together and said, we will have a Coca-Cola within an arm's reach of every service man or woman for five cents. There was no strategy. There was no strategic planning retreat you know, to figure that out. It was a belief. It was a value. And it was a dictate. And guess what happened? This, the, well, we can't do that. Bottling plants suddenly were put in Europe. We address that uh, need. Today, our international operations lead the company in performance, started by an ideal to serve people who are defending freedom. That was another kind of CSR move you know, back then. So I'm proud to work with a company that is committed to that, that uh, continues to invest heavily in this, uh, in this world, um, and is doing everything from the, the MDC operator you saw on my first slide in Africa to five million women empowered by 2020 to helping um, juice growers around the world learn how to irrigate their crops with ground irrigation versus spray air irrigation because we can save water by going straight to the roots and eliminating the spray. So we're, we are so deep into this work that it's becoming, I think, very interesting. And that's what you need. You need people that, that are committed to it, that aren't doing it for the for the uh, dollars and cents, you know, um, they're doing it for their core values and principles, and then ultimately the dollars, dollars and cents will follow because do as as Blake would tell you, you know, 
uh, doing the right kind of business today will result in, in returns long term. And it is that long term perspective that's right. important. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that becomes difficult when you're doing quarterly reports and you've got shareholders that are concerned. So how do you get to the place with your shareholders and all that you really can have that longer term focus on, particularly in some of these issues that certainly will have a financial impact at some point, but may not right off the bat. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the real deal. I mean, yeah. when you work um, in a role like I am or anyone else at Coca-Cola, we are uh, a publicly traded, transparent mm -hmm. corporation. Um, we are uh, responsible for driving share owner value mm -hmm. through uh, economic value added mm -hmm. types of um, long-term programs. So I think about our quarterly results daily <laughs> and um, track results daily. But the, I think the difference is that you've got to balance the long-term strategic priorities with running a business. You know, we've got to put money in the bank every day, and then we've got to invest that money wisely. Our priorities for investment, number one priority for us is to invest back in the business. Number two, to reward share owners with handsome dividends and buy back stock when, um, uh, when, we, when we can. Uh, and then we look at bolt-on acquisitions as the third idea. But the social responsibility is always there. It, it never leaves who we are. And I think when we get a little bit off kilter, just look at the brand and we're always reminded this brand deserves a different type of social responsibility maybe than others. We have another question back here. Okay. Hi there, uh, Michael Tannenbaum. I spoke to you a little earlier, MBA 2008 from the full-time program. Wow, this is loud. Wanted to know, you mentioned earlier that you didn't say who they were, but that you have certain influences as well in, in branding. And I was just curious to know who some of the people are that have influenced you the most in personal branding. Uh, Michael, thanks for the question. Personal branding <clears throat> is a topic that, it's a parallel, kind of parallel life for me. You know, I have, I, make no mistake about it, I am an executive with a Coca-Cola company who also wrote a book. Um, that's my parallel world and it's, it was great to do that. Uh, I'm very intrigued by personal brands, uh, people who are being very true to themselves and succeeding. Even if it's causing drama or ridicule. So Ellen DeGeneres to me is a fabulous brand. Uh, she was a great comic, a great comedian years ago. I think she's only gotten stronger by, you know, uh, marrying her partner, Portia. Uh, that may not fit the values of everyone uh, in, in society, but she is true to herself and her general market has grown while she's been true to herself. Uh, I look at people, um, you know, uh, all across the spectrum that have made a difference. I think Richard Branson is a, is a very interesting brand. Um, here's a, a teenager with attention deficit disorder that drops out of high school to start a record store. Now, bring that story home to mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked out pretty well for Sir Richard. And, you know, and here's a guy that was very passionate about what he did. He's done it on his own terms. And he's, and he's uh, you know, once again, when he's in Davos, people listen. It's a very interesting type of thing. I think that uh, the, the big idea here is that we are bigger than we believe we are. All of us, everyone in this, in this room, Michael, could be a very 
impactful person and a personal brand. Some of the most Im Im impressionable, strong personal brands that I've met are teachers. And these are teachers in public education who every morning get up with struggling uh, uh, systems with no budget and come to class and they're the teacher of the year. And, and you know, they don't see themselves as teachers. They see themselves as unlocking a bright world of potential to kids that otherwise are struggling with their days. So, you know, the, the most intriguing people to me actually aren't the Oprahs, the Bonos, the Charlies. It's the school teachers. And it's the, the, the simple people that are doing simple daily jobs that when, when you talk about a school and that same teacher's name comes up all the time as you want to get your children in her class, that's a strong brand. Thank you. We probably have time for one more question from the audience. Do we have another question? Yeah, right here. Thanks very much. Thank you. Oh, let's let get the mic so we can be sure and have it on tape. Great. Once again, thanks very much. Good evening and thank you for coming tonight. I'm Adam Isro. I graduated from the uh, fully employed business program. Had the pleasure of starting a company. So I'm particularly interested in, number one, all that Coca-Cola has done. It's, it's fascinating. And you think about a company that's so large, that does so much, with such a simple line, Coke is it. When you empower people at a company at your level, that many people, that kind of business, and it doesn't go right, because I thought it was interesting how you shared new Coke. How hard is it to make the adjustments when it doesn't go right? And how do you affect change when there's so many variables in it? Uh, thank you. Well, it, it's a, thank you. That's a great question. Um, fortunately for us, it's gone right a lot more than it's gone wrong over the, the 125 and a half years now. But, um, you know, new Coke is, is such a, an iconic <laughs> learning would be the word I would use. Um, we love it at MBA programs. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. sure you do. <laughs> the, um, but I, I tell you the ones that bother me or worry me the most are the ideas that are half good, that with a little bit of polishing could be great. You know, uh, some of the things that we've done over the years, we, we'll go out and we've bought a lot of companies uh, in our history uh, and we have not nurtured those brands as well as we quite well should have. Um, you know, we would acquire a company, we'd buy it, it would come in, it would struggle in our, our regular Coca-Cola route to market bottling system, and suddenly we bought a brand and it, and it begins to, to falter. Uh, one of the things we've done to avoid that is we've, we've introduced a, um, an emerging brands venture group within the company that takes small ownership in companies, in entrepreneurial companies, with beverage uh, categories that are interesting to us. Um, we'll invest a certain amount of financial capital, a certain amount of, of um, uh, perhaps uh, assets that would help that startup company go, but we stay out of the management of the company. We keep the same leadership in team in, in place. We don't try to bring it into our system. We let it incubate. Uh, we did this with Honest Tea for many years and just recently took majority ownership in Honest Tea. That's how I think we're doing it right now is that we've learned that we can't just buy a company, bring it into the Coca-Cola machine, and expect it to survive. And so now we've got actually an incubator company on the payroll where we are doing that and then letting those, those brands grow up. 
So it's something that we have to be aware of. Uh, I think the other thing is that you've, you've got to have a leadership team in place that's honest, that is honest about what's working, what's not working, and is um, willing to take risk, but also willing to change direction you know, at a pretty fast pace. Because right now the consumers uh, will know about it. And you know, one of the ways that we pay attention to this is through um, watching Facebook. You know, we have almost 50 million fans on um, the second most visited Facebook site today that was created by a Facebook fan. Now, you can imagine all of a sudden our legal department's reviewing a, you know, trademark infringement type of relationship. And what we learned quickly is we can't control that. We've got to let it go. We've got to let it go. And sometimes the chatter on Facebook is, you know, not what we want to see, and we monitor it for any kind of you know, R-rated stuff that has to come off. But basically, that's a, f a free conversation about our brands. And what we've been most interested in learning and, and we've seen is that when people post things that maybe aren't as flattering about one of our situations, the fans will attack it. And they'll say, wait a minute, that's my, you know, to see this kind of uh, fan love for the brands is another thing that we, uh, that we are, in, are learning from. So uh, a company that's 125 years young, that still has so much upside potential, uh, and we're learning every day. Yeah, it's an interesting place to be. You talked about learning, and I'll conclude with this question. Uh, in our earlier discussion, we did a podcast earlier that you'll have access to shortly uh, on iTunes, and so you can hear some more conversation with Jerry. But one of the things we talked about was his educational background, and you went through community college, uh, your undergraduate, and then a few years later went back to your graduate, and through all of those you worked. Right. pretty much full-time while you were going to school. And so his experience from an educational perspective is very similar to many of you in the room that did that very same thing. So what to you, I mean, it's very different than a traditional full-time experience, either at the undergraduate or the graduate level. What was really valuable to you from that experience that you think helped you to accomplishing it to the place that you are today? That might be insightful to the folks out here that have had a similar learning experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm proud to say I'm the first person in my family to achieve a bachelor's degree. And um, both of my parents attended college, but they never graduated from, from college. And they did a great job of raising three children. And I, uh, when it was time for me to go to uh, college, I naturally went to DeKalb Community College, which was the uh, college um, that I went to and worked at Winn-Dixie and worked for two years and went through there. I've been working since age 12. so. I uh, was a, um, you know, cut grass and then a paper boy, and so I've been working a long time. And, um, you know, then I uh, transferred to university and worked my way through university, washing dishes and um, cobbling together jobs that I could, could do. I was, uh, I tell the story that um, there was this, this uh, local hangout in Athens, Georgia during the um, 70s, which was a great place to be with REM playing house parties. That was not bad. <laughs> So, um, you know, we had a good, uh, I, I got a job at the, the local um, railroad station that had been converted into nightclubs and places for the people to go drink Miller Lights at the time. So um, the, the first job was that they made a very big mess every night, so I was the guy that picked up the beer cans in the morning, you know, um, and I did a good job. And the big day was when the dishwasher quit, and I got an inside job, oh, you know, you to get an apron and wash the dishes. And so... Um, you know, I had a six, an apartment for $62.50 a month and balanced the books. And you just make it work. You know, you, 
it's interesting when you look, when I look back that I'm the same guy now as I was then. And, um, you know, then I went, to, when I graduated from the University of Georgia, I was so delighted to be out of college. I was like, man, I can just, just one job now. And um, then I went to work for Volkswagen, and Volkswagen had a tuition reimbursement mm -hmm. plan. And lo and behold, I was married with no children at the time. And uh, I found myself going back to graduate school, the night school, to earn my MBA uh, at night. And, um, you know, I just think that, that that is part of who I am. Um, I'm very comfortable in restaurants or in the back room of a McDonald's with the fry person mm -hmm. talking about our business. Uh, and I'm very blessed and fortunate to have been given the opportunity over 30 years to be rewarded for just working hard and performing. You know, the, the, the biggest message I would say that came out of that is do very good in the job you're in in the future will kind of take care of itself. Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case. You know, you can't, hope is not a strategy, so you need to, you know, um, brand yourself and, and position yourself in a place for success. But, um, you know, I've never spent a lot of time worrying about what was the next role. You know, uh, I've enjoyed what I do. I've always tried to make it better. When I was, um, you know, um, stocking the shelves at Winn-Dixie, I wanted the best, you know, aisle of the store. Mm -hmm. So it's just do the best you can um, uh, at all times. And, and I think it, it also keeps you a little bit humble to know that, sure. that um, you know, you, it's not about um, sometimes, I think the funniest story, and I'll, I'll end here, is that I had um, at one time working for me, I was uh, director of strategic planning for the U.S. market which was a great job, I love that job. And um, I had a Harvard MBA, um, a Stanford MBA, and a Wharton MBA all working for me. And I'm like a community college yeah, right. guy, right? <laughs> and you're going, yes! So, um, you know, they, one of the guys came up to me and said, hey, Jerry, I know you got your graduate degree too. You know, where did you matriculate? And um, so I said, uh, MIT. And he said, wow, that's a great school. I said, yeah, Mercer in town. So um, anyway, yeah, you know, I have a lot of fun. I enjoy life. I think we take life way too seriously sometimes. And I've been very blessed and fortunate. So thank you very much. Wonderful. Well, we were blessed and fortunate to have you with us tonight. So thank you very thank you. much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.